Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Good morning, everyone. A happy Monday morning to you all. It is the 13th, 14th, sorry, 14th. I'm just getting behind myself, not ahead of myself. How are you doing? We're having a phenomenal, cool morning here still. 68 degrees, and it is uh, warming up. It'll probably get up to 80 or so, but man, probably is down to, if it's 68 now, it's probably down to 65 or something in the middle of the night. I don't know what it was, but... It sure was comfy. We look forward every day to have that cool weather before the before the heat and humidity set in. And still had a good group of people in church yesterday. Most will be going home today, or not today, this week. So we'll see a big turnover. But come on down whenever you can. It's always nice to have more people visit us. We actually have some friends from Santa Fe in today, or in came in yesterday, day before. So they'll be in all week. be fun to see them as well. Some good friends from up north. So what happened on this day in history on the 14th of March? Well, Pi Day, commemorating the mathematical constant of Pi. I bet you didn't know that. Pi Day is celebrated on March 14th because it represents 3.14. Uh-huh, because it's the third month, 14th day, which is the ratio of pi, circumference of a diameter, the lowercase, blah, 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 Greek alphabet, blah, blah, blah. what I want to know is when is apple pie day? That's the only day that I'm very concerned about. I'll celebrate that for sure. Kennedy assassination, Ruby sentenced to death. March 14th, 1964, Jack Ruby is sentenced to death for the murder of Lee Harvey Oswald. The conviction was later overturned, and Ruby died while awaiting trial. Interesting. March 14th, the first FBI 10 most wanted fugitives is announced. Thomas Holden, the first person on the list. He had killed his wife and two brothers. He was captured the following year. Hmm. First shopping cart was invented on this day in 1938. Aren't you grateful? How about a, a, a dad joke or two before we get started? My wife and I let astrology get between us. It tore us apart. T-A-U-R-U-S. Tar us apart. Mm, that doesn't even warrant a, a laugh. How about this one? What do you call a coupon using Vampire. It should be vampires. What do you call a coupon using vampires? Suckers for a deal. <laughs> All right, let's look over at the word for this morning. You should notice that we are in Numbers chapter 8. So if you can find your place, Numbers chapter 8, it's always a good idea to follow along in your Bible. So... Uh, sometimes, you know, you can put little notations, little marks, and, and comments there, so you get it, connect some Bible verses. So with that, so we're going to look in 
Numbers chapter 8. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. God, is, thank you for guiding us. ask that you would open up our eyes as we um, are looking into these things to see what you want us to see. Give us your clear interpretation of these scriptures, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to begin with uh, chapter 8, and you guys on Facebook, please bear with me. If, if we're a little echoey, we're going to keep working on this. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you mount the lamps, the seven lamps will give light in front of the lampstand. Aaron therefore did so, and he mounted its lamps at the front of the lampstand, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now this was the workmanship of the lampstand, hammered work of gold from its base to its flowers. It was hammered work according to the pattern which the Lord had shown Moses. So he made the lampstand. Again the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the sons of Israel and cleanse them. Thus you shall do to them. For their cleansing, sprinkle purifying water on them, and let them use a razor over their whole body and wash their clothes, and they will be clean. Then let them take a bull with its grain offering, fine flour mixed with oil, and a second bull you shall take for a sin offering. You shall present the Levites before the tent of meeting. You shall also assemble the whole congregation of the sons of Israel. And present the Levites before the Lord, and the sons of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites. Aaron then shall present the Levites before the Lord as a wave offering from the sons of Israel, that they may qualify to perform the service of the Lord. Now the Levites shall lay their hands on the heads of the bulls and offer the one for a sin offering, the other for a burnt offering to the Lord, to make atonement for the Levites. You shall have the Levites stand before Aaron and before his sons, so as to present them as a wave offering to the Lord. Thus you shall separate the Levites from among the sons of Israel, and the Levites shall be mined. Then after that the Levites may go in to serve the tent of meetings, but you shall cleanse them and present them as a wave offering. For they are wholly given to me from among the sons of Israel. I have taken them for myself, instead of every first issue of the womb, the firstborn of all the sons of Israel. For every firstborn among the sons of Israel is mine, among the men and among the animals. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them for myself. But I have taken the Levites instead of every firstborn among the sons of Israel. I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron from among the sons of Israel to perform the service of the sons of Israel in the tent of meeting and to make atonement on behalf of the sons of Israel so that there will be no plague among the sons of Israel by their coming near to the sanctuary. Thus did Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the sons of Israel to the Levites according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses concerning the Levites so the sons of Israel did to them. The Levites, too, purified themselves from sin and washed their clothes, and Aaron presented them as a wave offering before the Lord. Aaron also made atonement for them to cleanse them. Then, after that, the Levites went in to perform their services in the tent of meeting before Aaron and before the sons, just as the Lord had commanded Moses concerning the Levites. So they did to them. Verse 23. 
Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this is what applies to the Levites. From 25 years old and upward, they shall enter to perform service in the work of the tent of meeting. But at the age of 50 years, they shall retire from service in the work and not work anymore. They may, however, assist their brothers in the tent of meeting to keep an obligation, but they themselves shall do no more work. Thus they shall deal with the Levites concerning their obligations. Chapter 9 Thus the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, in the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Now let the sons of Israel observe the Passover and its appointed time. On the fourteenth day of this month, at twilight, you shall observe it at its appointed time. You shall observe it according to all its statutes and according to all its ordinances. So Moses told the sons of Israel to observe the Passover. They observed the Passover in the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at twilight, in the wilderness of Sinai, according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So the sons of Israel did. But there was some men who were unclean because of the dead person, so that they could not observe Passover on that day. So they came before Moses and Aaron on that day. Those men said to him, Though we are unclean because of the dead person, why are we restrained from presenting the offering of the Lord at its appointed time among the sons of Israel? Moses therefore said to them, Wait, and I will listen to what the Lord will command concerning you. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, If any one of you or of your generation becomes unclean because of a dead person, or is on a distant journey, he may, however, observe the Passover to the Lord. In the second month, on the fourteenth day at twilight, they shall observe it, they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it until morning, nor break any bone of it. According to all the statute of the Passover, they shall observe it. But the man who is clean and is not on a journey, and yet neglects to observe the Passover, that person shall then be cut off from his people, for he did not present the offering of the Lord at its appointed time. That man will bear his sin. If an alien sojourning among you and observes the Passover to the Lord according to the statute of the Passover and according to its ordinances, so he shall do. You shall have one statute, both for the alien and for the native of the land. 15. Now, on the day that the tabernacle was erected, a cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, and in the evening it was like the appearance of fire over the tabernacle until morning. So it was continually. The cloud would cover it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the cloud was lifted from over the tent, afterward the sons of Israel would then set out, and the place where the cloud settled down, there the sons of Israel would camp. At the command of the Lord, the sons of Israel would set out, and the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud settled over the tabernacle, they remained camped. Even when the cloud lingered over the tabernacle for many days, the sons of Israel would keep the Lord's charge and not set out. If sometimes the cloud remained a few days over the tabernacle, according to the command of the Lord, they remained camped. Then, according to the command of the Lord, they set out. If sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning, then the cloud was lifted in the morning 
they would move out or if they remained in the daytime and at night, whenever the cloud was lifted, they would set out. Whether it was two days or a month or a year that the cloud lingered over the tabernacle, staying above it, the sons of Israel remained camped and did not set out. But when it was lifted, they did set out. At the command of the Lord they camped, and at the command of the Lord they set out. They kept the Lord's charge according to the command of the Lord through Moses. So, again, we have purification, cleansing, for what? For nearness, for an an opportunity to come near to the Lord, have fellowship. And we have the cleansing of the Levites and the cleansing of the sons of Aaron. Two priestly families related but also distinct. So they had different ministries. Aaron and his family, his sons, were directly involved with bringing the sacrifice to the altar. The Levites were kind of in charge of everything else and ministering to them. They were given to Aaron to be ministers to them, but holy unto the Lord. And you see this idea of holiness. Uh, I'm imagining shaving their whole body. I'm trying to imagine if, if it's not clear to me if they were to shave their beards because that was also holy, right? They were to never touch their, their beards unless it was to shave everything to start off new. And I was thinking what an amazing analogy that would be if they shaved everything, their heads and everything, they would be like a newborn. It would be like being born again in a sense as they're coming into the presence, God's presence, wholly dedicated to the Lord. But I have no evidence that they had to shave. It all depends on how literally you take shave their whole bodies because it would be hard to imagine them shaving off their beards and their and their sides, um, their sideburns when they were commanded not to. So I don't know how that works out. But it's an interesting thought. The idea is, cleanliness, holiness, being set apart. And they are ritually uh, cleansing their bodies to the maximum so to be wholly dedicated to the Lord. And whatever they were doing on the outside was to be a reflection of what was to be going on on the inside, a cleansing and getting off anything that would, uh, that would be attractive or retain any kind of, any kind of impurities, any kind of dirt washing themselves clean. So then they would be able to come into God's presence. And this is what happens when we are metaphorically, spiritually, uh, mystically even, if you could use, I think it would be appropriate to use the word, cleansed by the blood of Christ, mystically in in the right kind of way. There's something that transpires when we ask to be, come under his blood. And it is that same cleansing that they received by the sacrifice, by the priest putting their hands on the head of the animal, slaying it, and having the blood poured out and poured on the on portions of it sprinkled upon the altar. That made the person clean. This is why Jesus had to go to the cross. So that's uh, all in preparation for the entrance for individuals to come into a, a, pre, a, a the holy God before him to have fellowship. Now, once they have this experience of coming before him and being forgiven through the priesthood, 
now we see right after that, and I don't think it's by accident, that we understand that the, the cloud that now comes over the tabernacle is going to be that which guides them, the cloud and the fire. They, you understand that when this was all set up and they were all clean, then the cloud and the fire come over the tabernacle. They see the visual presence of God there in a very supernatural way. And some people actually think that there was a, it was kind of a, a fire within the cloud. And uh, often uh, you can also relate back to the burning bush and there was some uh, um, kind of a presence there, an almost discernible presence uh, of a divine presence of God. But it would lead them. So once you're purified and you come into God's presence, you're what? Ready for him to lead you where he wants you to go. And I wouldn't mind having a, a visible cloud to say, okay, go here, <laughs> especially on a daily basis today, and go here or just go this direction in your life, and I'm gonna, we're gonna, I'm, you're going to camp here, and I'm going to use you here. We don't any longer have that. The Israelites had it, and yet even with having it, Look how they didn't respect it or really take full advantage of it. They they had God guiding them every single day and bringing them to the places that he wanted them to be. And yet they complained. And yet they fall into idolatry. They're looking to go back to Egypt even while they have the cloud and the fire there guiding them understanding the presence of God and having him there available. It didn't seem to make that much of a difference to them. They got so used to it. And that's, I guess, probably the scary thing. Uh, once you're born again and you've been saved for a long time and you're going to church and you're listening to the Holy Spirit, reading your Bible, we get so accustomed, maybe, to God guiding us through scriptures that we stop listening and we stop following. I don't know. It's kind of an interesting dichotomy. Let's move over into Matthew chapter 6 now. 16, sorry. Matthew 16. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came up, testing Jesus, and asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he replied to them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning... There will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and a sign will not be given to it except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. And the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. Then Jesus said to them, Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They began to discuss this among themselves, saying, He said this because we did not bring any bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, You men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not, let, do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you picked up? Or even the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets full you picked up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but beware the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not say beware of the leaven of the bread, 
but of the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking the disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, or the gates of Hades, will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Then Jesus said to the disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his glory and his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his glory. That's a pretty amazing statement that Jesus made, and it's caused some to um, become preterists, um, thinking that the end times scenario was all completed by 70 AD, or actually it would have to be, yeah, about there. Um, there's all kinds of interesting theories that some would not die before they see the kingdom of God come in his glory. The interpretation that I view as the most biblical and correct was that the disciples did see Jesus coming in his power and his glory up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Some of them, three of them, went up on the Mount and saw Jesus transfigured and glorified into deity and Moses and Elijah there and God speaking verbally <laughs> to, so they could hear, they could see that this was an amazing thing. Now, why why there? Because it was, if you follow the interesting logic, and I, I um, highly recommend Michael Heiser's book, The Unseen Realm. He makes a very strong case, a very, very compelling case that Jesus was actually out, up on Mount um, Horeb. No, I'm not Horeb. Why did I say that? Um, <laughs> um, there at Caesarea Philippi, you have 
the entrance to Hades. Essentially, they believed that there was the uh, entrance to Hades there. Uh, the ancients all believed that. And, um, and that was right there on Mount Hermon. There is the base of Mount Hermon. And when Peter makes this proclamation, that whole area was the area where, where uh, there is the strong belief from Jewish historians and also from the Book of Enoch and, and even some writings in the pagan realm that this is where the fallen ones came down to earth, where they first came and started messing havoc on the earth and taking the daughters of men for themselves. And so there was a lot of demonic activity, a lot of powerful stuff going on there. And this is why it became associated with Pan and associated with the underworld and the gates of hell, essentially gates of Hades, the underworld. Not, and we can distinguish there uh, between the two. The, the underworld, Hades, was there. Caesarea Philippi, and this is the area where, where Peter makes this proclamation. You are the Lord, the Son of the Son of God. You are the Christ, the coming one. And, and God says, blessed are you, Peter. The gates of hell shall not prevail against this statement. Not against Peter, you're not the first pope. Against this statement that I am the Christ, the anointed one. And he's making that statement and that proclamation there where the gates of Hades were where the, all of the pagan realms, all of the Canaanites and everybody came, and even various demonic beings were, were, had a powerful influence in that area. And then he then manifests there uh, to these three on the, up a little higher up on Mount Hermon. This is the theory that I, I hold to. Um, and there he's transfigured to be a demonstration to the demonic world and to the pagan world and to the disciples of who he was because the disciples would have understood all of the paganism that was around that area and all of the gods that were being worshipped. You go there today to Tel Dan, up there you still see the idols that are there up in the rocks. You still see the entrance to the gates of Hades, what with the cave that's there, and the, and the idol to Pan, Pan, Pan um, and all the different deities there that are still there. So it's a, and it's a compelling argument, and uh, I believe they saw him in his glory, that the kingdom of God had come to the earth. It was a foreshadowing of his presence, actually, when he comes at the second coming, when his kingdom is established, the kingdom of God coming upon the earth. Obviously, he did at the resurrection as well, but he did at his birth. So there's a, a different ways you can, you can look at this. Um, we've looked at various aspects of Jesus' teaching. There's, there's a lot we could go into there, but we understand about the teachings of the Pharisees. Beware of these guys. Um, they, were, they were the ones that were causing the confusion about who Jesus was. And I will throw this in. Beware of the leaven of the priesthood of the Roman Catholic Church, mostly the Pope. There's some very good priests out there that uh, are actually standing against the crazy stuff that's coming out of the Vatican. But beware of that leaven. They are the modern-day Pharisees. And you can throw in some bad Protestant theologians as well. It's not We don't have a corner on all the truth in the Bible. But 
they're such a powerhouse coming out of the Vatican and their interpretations of these things. They believe that they have the authority that to, to bind and to loose on the earth, that God gave them this, this papacy and uh, Peter began it, and they have this power to bind and loose. Therefore, the priest has, a, has the power to forgive sin and, and, and not and last rites and all those kind of things. Uh, we challenge that biblically. We think that's a misinterpretation. Um, Jesus has the only one who has the power to forgive sin. So we have a similar thing going on today that you have to be very mindful as, as you go into these things. Let's look over to Charles Spurgeon now. Tender comfort. As one whom his mother comforteth, so I will comfort you. Isaiah 66, 13. A mother's comfort. Ah, this is tenderness itself. How she enters into her child's grief. How she presses him to her bosom and tries to take all his sorrow into her own heart. He can tell her all, and she will sympathize as nobody else can. Of all comforters, the child loves best his mother, and even full-grown men have found it so. Does Jehovah condescend to act the mother's part? This is goodness indeed. We, we readily perceive how he is a father, but will he be as a mother also? Does not this invite us to holy familiarity and unreserved confidence to sacred rest? When God himself becomes the comforter, no anguish can long abide. Let us tell out our trouble, even though sobs and sighs should become our readiest utterance. He will not despise us for our tears, or our mother did not. He will consider our weakness as she did, and he will put away our faults only in a sure, safer way than our mother could do. We will not try to bear our grief alone. That would be unkind to the one so gentle and so kind. Let us begin the day with our loving God, and wherefore should we not finish it in the same company, since mothers weary not for their children." That's a very beautiful sentiment, very beautiful devotion, worthy of all consideration as we think about these things. Hmm. Well, let's take that idea uh, that we've been given to the Lord and, uh, and see what the Lord has to, to say. Father God, thank you for blessing us this morning and bringing us into your presence. Thank you for this uh, this devotional thought of how kind and how gentle you are that you're both the strong father the protector but you're also willing to take us into your arms and listen to every concern we have and be there for us and accept us in our weakness and we acknowledge we are weak that we cannot stand on our own we need your comfort and we need to bring these things and we god we thank you that you encourage us to bring them to you and to not hold back so, God, those that are in need of that, that have confusion or have very, very difficult things going on in their life right now, Father, we pray they would be bold enough to come before your throne, but also brave enough to rest in your arms. And as the Bible say, cast all their cares upon you, 
because you're good and you're merciful. So thank you for this day and the opportunity. We always have to do that. We want to remember, God, the various things that you are doing in the world and ask that you would somehow, God, make us holy as you made the Levites. We pray for your cleansing, your washing, your forgiveness to come over us so that we can bring before you, God, in prayer. Offer up praises of oh sacrifices. Offer up before you, God, our lives and dedication. And in so doing, God, bring others before you that are weak and that have needs, that have various difficulties going on in their life. My brother Francisco, God, who has um, just battling with a tumor in his, in his brain that needs a touch, that needs your gentle hand to guide him and strengthen him and your uh, your healing touch upon him. And we pray for the supernatural healing, God. We have known of other people that have had tumors that have shrunk down to nothing. So we uh, we pray for that. And that's our that's our heart cry. But God, you may choose to heal it through the surgeon's skillful hand. And so we would pray, God, that your will be made known and that these things would come about quickly. Thank you for the report for Pastor Joe up in Bucerias, that his cancer did not spread into the bone, and so he uh, he seemingly will go through surgery and uh, and come out uh, cancer free. So we are rejoicing for that and pray that that the surgery goes well. And Father, supernaturally, would be awesome if you could shrink that that cancer, those cancer cells down as well. We would be just rejoicing either way. Thank you for that. Thank you that. Celeste is continuing on with her cancer, no matter what, and uh, writing about you, writing about your goodness, and using that as an opportunity for ministry, as well as Ingrid, who's still recovering or still clean in her uh, situation with her cancer. Thank you that she has been used mightily to minister to others that have, have it through her book. We ask that you bless that, and many would be encouraged and strengthened and spiritually brought closer to you because of it. Thank you for Hank and his ongoing battle and uh, just having a good attitude and, and continuing on, God, as well as so many others that have uh, had the same situation. We pray for Pam Shoemaker that she continues to, to get better and Karen Skoog as well. God, uh, a lot of these people, we, we don't get updates regularly, but that's a good thing oftentimes. It, they're focused on on continuing on in their life and serving you. So, God, we pray that the when the updates we do get would be those to hear great news, that things are going well with their bodies. So thank you for that. And we pray for anyone who's just recently been diagnosed with something that is serious in their body, God, that you be their comforter, like the mother who can hold them. I only know, Father, that... Um, any of us that have, have anything happened to our bodies in the past need that. We need to know you're there. We need to know your, comfort, your comforting arms, and we need the family around us, both biological and spiritual. We need our brothers and sisters around us. So we pray for that, God, that there be a continual support structure for those going through very difficult times and going through surgery. So thank you, God, for all that you are doing there. And we do pray that these 
crazy things going on around, around the world would come to an end, especially in the Ukraine right now, uh, with these new evil bombs are being used and horrible things like that. God, please, um, please help. Please help the, uh, the, pe- the innocent people that are being uh, slaughtered to find safety and bring mediators into this, this war before it spirals out of control. God, the, the military strategists believe that if uh, Putin can't see his way out of this, by military victory on the ground, which he's having a difficult time doing, that he might avail himself to a nuclear attack. And that, God, we know would spiral out of control. That would be something that would be globally and historically a major change. And the result would be devastating and could easily, easily bring about World War III much faster and much more deadly than we ever even imagined. So, God, we, we earnestly fall before you and plead for your mercy and your grace and your, and your power to hold back this, uh, this leader of this country from doing anything quite so radical and so destructive and bring in the mediators they need to stop it. Thank you for Israel and its strong stance, God, and their, and their, the amazing thing that they are doing, Father, to maintain the peace in the Middle East. You've told us to pray for Jerusalem, so we do, God. We pray that you bring peace and continue to bring peace there. We bless you, God. We thank you for service yesterday and the people you brought and the hearts that you touched and the, the word that you use, God, continually to, to bring us into fellowship with you. Thank you for that, God. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you. You can just continue it, Father. Continue doing the work that you do, and we will continue to walk in the newness of the of our spiritual lives, Father. So thank you. Um, we bless you, and we ask now, God, that you would continue to do the work that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everybody, thank you. We will continue this tomorrow. If you didn't get a chance to read yesterday, uh, the the reading for Sunday, we do have it on the podcast. It is out now, so check that out, if you will. Okay? Bye-bye. 